And we're live. Oh my goodness. I always get nervous before I hit the go live button, but here we are. We are back in the Trigger Proof community live. And of course, I'm recording this for the podcast or YouTube if you're watching on replay. Give me a hashtag replay. I'd love to to see where you're, and also where you're from. I've always wondered where my uh, content kind of goes and gets distributed. And um, I believe that it's not an accident that that you're here. Um, if you're here, there's a reason for it. Um, something brought you into my universe. I do believe if you think, if you're into woo stuff, the more deeper I go into neuroscience, the more woo I actually become. And uh, what I'm experiencing is how uh, mysterious this whole world is, this universe is, how we're all just energy. And energy is, you know, if you look at who you actually are in a microscope, most of you is just empty space. You know, if you look in a mirror, you can see one person. I got a couple interesting facts. You could look in a mirror and see one person, but there's a couple truths that you got to face when you look in the mirror the next time. Here's the first one. The first one is that you're mostly not even there. <laughs> you don't even exist. You're just completely like a, uh, you're mostly empty space, just tiny little particles of matter. But most, most of it tend to the power of, you know, I don't know what the exact number is, but you know what I'm talking about. It's mostly just empty space, which means that you're, that we are just energy. We're energetic beings. And when we go deeper and deeper into the microscope of what we are in the part, even in our particles, we're just frequency. You know, it's just frequency of energy of different vibrational frequencies. And the deeper we go into the material, the, the more spiritual we become. And so, uh, you know, it's interesting because when I was younger, if you've met, never met me before, my name is Dr. Nima Romani. I'm a, I trained as a chiropractor and now I help uh, people dismantle, break free from trauma bonds so that they can heal their nervous system, heal their body from chronic illness, chronic fatigue, and then uh, heal their relationship with others by first healing the relationship with themselves. And so um, I teach what I most needed to learn. It's kind of like my own journey through uh, my own healing, going through divorce and healing relational patterns led me to understanding neuroscience and really trying to figure out why I was constantly repeating these same patterns in relationships, no matter how intelligent or educated I I was, uh, how many seminars that I took, it really didn't matter because I constantly found myself uh, living the same kind of codependent narcissistic cycle pattern in relationships. Sometimes I was the narcissist role, other times I was the codependent role. And I was wondering why my twin brother didn't have this same problem that I did. And so I teach what I most needed to learn. And so the more deeper that I went into my own healing, the more spiritual I realize that this journey of healing trauma actually is. It's a spiritual endeavor. I want you to look at it like Neo uh, in the movie The Matrix, taking the red pill from Morpheus and going on a hero's journey to discover that he was the one. Uh, or, you know, Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz going on her little hero's journey, healing from trauma. And our life journey very much is a hero's journey that we are responsible for. This is the one thing that I'm really keen on letting people know about and teach is that we are responsible for that. And our childlike selves have these fantasies that one day someone's going to rescue us from all this pain and take away all of that suffering. And the funny thing about that fantasy is we just, the longer we live in that fantasy, the more we get hit hard with reality. It just doesn't work that way. And then we, if we don't really learn from that lesson, we'll just keep repeating to the next person, the next person, same dance, different haircut. Um, when we're looking for, uh, rescuing outside of ourselves. So 
um, we are spiritual beings having a temporary uh, earthly experience and healing from trauma uh, is a spiritual journey. That's what I wanted to start you off uh, and sharing. And if, if that doesn't jive with you, then great. <laughs> There's one click that you can hit and we don't have to ever, you don't have to ever be bothered by my content ever again. But if this um, journey through healing your nervous system and understanding the, the very subtle uh, substance of the soul, which the nervous system contains, and understanding how to work with that energy so that we could maximize our life experience and create relationships that feel nourishing, then please stay with me and listen in because I really have some cool shit that I love to share. Um, I come from a, uh, a line of relationship challenges that constantly fell through the same pattern. And what I understood was that I, uh, in my last relationship, was the biggest wake-up call where both of us got really abusive with one another. There was emotional abuse. There was some physical abuse that happened. And still to this day, there's financial abuse that's, that's happening. And so um, I knew that when I wanted to get out of this trauma bond, uh, I knew that, you know, my logic was telling me, you know, from the get-go, this wasn't somebody that I was going to uh, end up with. And I was very clear about that. But after a couple of years into it, I remember having this fear of, holy shit, I know I have to leave, but like I'm scared to leave for two reasons. The first one was um, I realized that I had used relationships as a crutch to kind of cushion my insecurities. So I took on the role of the narcissist in the relationship, which was transactionally using relationships for sex services and narcissistic supply. And uh, which is kind of like attention and validation, another way of saying attention and validation. And we all kind of, if you can listen to my journey, you, could, you probably are seeing a little bit of yourself in it, even if you took on the role of the codependent. And if you want to watch how these roles come together, please, uh, on YouTube, watch Anatomy of a Toxic Relationship, a dissection. Please watch that. I go into the kind of the, the, the foundations of how that happens historically with these two people, the, the narcissist and the codependent roles, not to label people and diagnose people with borderline and NPD, but I see them more as roles. Like we all have a little bit of each of it. I believe we all have, just working with people, we all have a little bit of, of these parts within us. And so if we don't look and we don't take ownership, those parts take over. So I really highly recommend you watch that so I, so I don't have to go into the history of how that works. But what I noticed was I, was, I, I had to unpack it and I learned that I was in the, playing the narcissistic role and my partner definitely strong borderline traits. Um, when the borderline gets her abandonment or rejection wounds activated, they can turn psychopathic. And my ex has had a, at the time, had a business that was supporting sex workers, high-end escorts. So she's a madam and she's a former uh, high-end escort. She was kind of used to playing in the gray areas of the law, right? She's very street savvy. Uh, she had a, uh, you know, she had kind of like an alter ego, highly like, like rock star professionally. But then in relationships, she, she, you know, would show up codependent and right. And so in those, that dynamic was like a field day for both of us. And a couple of years into it, when I knew I wanted to leave, I was, you know, I was scared of what she would do if I pulled away. So there was a part of me that kind of stuck around longer than I quote unquote should have, because I was afraid of the impact of leaving. Now, I didn't realize that that was what a trauma bond actually very common in a trauma bond. But I'm saying it just in case you ever find yourself in a situation where you know that it's time to leave, but you're afraid of what that person is going to do. And it turned out I was right because when I did pull away, that's when 
the psychopath turned on and everything became a full full scale smear campaign. Uh, police were involved. It was like full on like, you know, like revenge. It's like vengeance and malice really trying to, instead of building uh, her life, she kind of took on the other role of the victim, try to kind of cut down. And so in this time, still working through dismantling it, uh, it's been four years and I'm still working through the financial abuse part of it. So I understand how difficult it is to leave trauma bonds. So when people in our Trigger Proof Facebook group do a post and say, this is what I'm going through, and then everybody just comments, girl, he's a narcissist, leave, run, he's a narcissist, run. I kind of smirk like this person really doesn't understand what a trauma bond is and how difficult it is and why it's so difficult. Because leaving a trauma bond isn't just leaving a person. What's happening is a trauma bond is a push-pull dynamic between two people who are deeply wounded and compulsively repeating the incompletes of their childhood patterns. So any incomplete you have with a mother figure, father figure, uh, a role that you took on as a child will just feel familiar to you. You know, the red flag that a healthy person would see, you'd just be totally stepping over it. Like, you know, it's like your third date and the person is like rip-roaring drunk. Well, that's not a red flag to somebody who constantly cleaned up after a parent who was an alcoholic. They're just like, oh, that's familiar. Or the parent that was emotionally abusive, you know, and would lose their shit and break shit, Right you know, which my ex would do, but I didn't see that as a red flag because I saw that happen with my parents. I was like, oh, that's what love is. So if it's familiar, we will have this unconscious, no matter how much you think you're going to try to willpower your way out of it, I want you to realize we're all addicts in recovery from our trauma bonds. We're compulsively pulled to repeat it and it's not something that you can willpower your way out of. That's why when you take your friend out for coffee and they kind of tell you about their relationship issue, you got all the greatest advice for them, you know? Uh, and But when it comes to you, it's kind of difficult, you know? And a, a real test I like to ask with people who DM me and say, oh, should I leave? What would happen? This person's alcoholic. I can't let them leave. I can't let them leave now because I've become the mother and I can't let my son leave. There's two, two reasons, because you're losing a mother and you're also losing a child. This is like, it's fucked up. <laughs> but as soon as I really understood the mechanisms behind it, you now have power. You now have information, especially if you have some support, you have guidance, and then you learn the training of learning how to handle emotional flashbacks, which is what I really want to talk about today. You now have the power to dismantle that trauma bond, find freedom. And like myself, within about six months, I found the right guidance and I went deep beyond just the cognitive talk therapy, counseling, anger management. I mean, I've done all of that stuff. It's helpful to talk to somebody, but we're talking about conditioning. You can't talk your way out of something that you're conditioned to do. When I finally learned how to resolve these emotional flashbacks and become what I call trigger-proof, not trigger-less, but trigger-proof, I was able to finally break free, accept all of the abuse that is the consequence often of leaving trauma bonds. Often the abuse begins after you leave. This was the case with me and my ex. The abuse, the financial abuse, the smear campaigns, the victimization, all of that stuff began after I left. Because, you know, it's like, it makes sense, you know, that her, her business kind of fell apart because of the laws that changed. She was counting on me to rescue her and to stabilize and, and, and to regulate her emotions, which is what the, um, uh, the trauma bond, the person in the codependent uh, slash borderline role, remember, I'm not uh, diagnosing, I'm just, it's the role 
that that she was playing it's it's kind of like outsourcing her regulatory functions to me this is kind of like her pattern she'll find leaders of kind of personal development group type of things so that is what she said she goes when i met you and i saw the work that you did i thought this was the guy that was going to fix me the codependent borderline has this fantasy it all starts why does the trauma bond is so addictive because of a shared fantasy the fantasy of the the borderline codependent role is this person's going to regulate my emotions and finally stabilize me finally this person calms me down in other words i don't have regulatory function in other words i don't know what to do about my fucking emotional flashbacks that are um, triggered constantly i don't know what to do about my emotions i need this person outside of me to regulate me and me being a a, a kind of a chiropractor who who wanted to branch out and be you know a guide i was like come on i'd love that because my fantasy was to you know, become rich and famous in helping people regulate themselves. And unconsciously, without going deeper into my nervous system to heal, we were locked into this shared fantasy. She was, it was kind of like a, the shared fantasy of the narcissist role and the borderline role is like a, like a perfect glove, like a lock-in key for one another. And that's why it's damn near impossible to leave, even when, you're both being really fucking abusive to one another. You know, even though, you know, my, I was embarrassed to bring her to, more, you know, to meet, to see my parents. I knew that there was no way that my parents or my family would ever welcome her in. My, my brother and sister-in-law were actually like, she's not even allowed in our house. So I wouldn't even invite her into my house, but I would let her run my business. <laughs> Right? And I laugh uh, now because uh, of my unconsciousness. I have compassion towards my unconscious self at that time. Part of my healing is to look back. You know, a lot of people who DM me are, are saying, you know, why the hell? You know, how could I have been so blind? How could I have been so stupid? And there's so much self-shame and self-blame of how I, I, I let myself be treated that way. That's very common. And the truth of the matter is, the reason why is because the shared fantasy in a trauma bond is highly addictive. You will forego rash, all rationality in search for this fantasy. And the fantasy is a uh, coping strategy for the pain of the unseen wounded child inside of all of us. Let me know if any of this is landing for you. Does this land? Let me know. Uh, you know, any comments or anything, if this is landing, because I just wanted to give you a background of what a trauma bond is, why it's so difficult, and to think that you can actually heal just by watching a couple videos or reading a book, it's a bit of a fantasy because we're dealing with conditioning. And it takes having a guide to kind of, because it's like any addict, you know, you, you, we got to look at it like I had to really look at myself as I was an addict in recovery. And many of us feel so much shame. We don't really want to admit that. But that was one of the, the greatest kind of liberation. I was like, all right, I don't really know. I can't really trust my own kind of intuition because my intuition is clouded by all these emotional flashbacks. So what are emotional flashbacks? Emotional flashbacks are activations of emotions that get activated in in relational dynamics in life in general from old wounds that are stuck in our amygdala the amygdala never forgets painful experiences from our childhood and when we were physically abused emotionally abused sexually abused that's obvious where we're going to have emotional flashbacks right you're going to have you know, if you had a history of sexual abuse, you know, when you were a child, when you're dating somebody and then they maybe put their hand on their on your leg or they reach in for a kiss, all of a sudden you go into a fight or flight or you start having a panic attack. You've been listening to the Trigger Proof podcast designed to teach you the most important skill necessary for a dramatically changing world, which is nervous system regulation becoming trigger proof 
doesn't mean trigger less. It means learning how to regulate ourselves to bring us back to center so that we can then be governed by our purpose rather than from our wounds. Anytime there's reactivity, there's a wound. And if you're curious and inspired to learn more, join us at Breathwork and Badassery or the Overview Experience. And a combination of both actually helps you do the work. There's a difference between listening to a podcast and actually showing up live and doing the work with a badass community who's all about breaking cycles of intergenerational trauma. It didn't start with you, but it can end with you if you're willing to do the work. See you at the next perfect time. It's a good ex example of an emotional flashback. These are the obvious ones, but what I want to share with you are the lesser more lesser understood flashbacks that all trauma isn't really about the big events that happen. It's about the, the activation, the overstimulation in our nervous system that gets stuck, that kind of, that isn't held in a safe container by an empathetic witness, by a caregiver who can actually go, wow, that must have been so hard. Tell me what that was like. I'm here for you. I got you. All of your emotions are totally valid. If we didn't experience that, then even the little micro traumas, the invalidations, the not feeling seen and heard, being told, ah, that didn't happen. You should just be grateful or or to constantly be belittled or be told you're, you know, you're a worthless piece of shit over and over and over and over again, or uh, quit crying like a little baby, quit being a little girl. Or when boys are told, quit being such a pussy, don't be like a girl. And, and uh, our emotions are invalidated. These are micro traumas that are kind of like death by a million paper cuts. So I want to share with you some, uh, some reasons that I've observed why, uh, let me see what I was just going to write here. I had it written. Uh, five reasons why you, we really suck. Five reasons why we really suck at dealing with our emotions by don't know what to do with what, what we're feeling. People say, I don't even know what I feel. I, what I feel is exactly what the other person feels. I feel one of my, one of the students in our program is like, I feel like a jellyfish. I feel like whatever another person feels, I t tend to feel. And what happens is there's no boundary between us and other people. And so we take on other people's emotions. We take responsibility for them. And this all becomes this massive emotional flashback that takes over and it doesn't feel safe to even be in our skin. So with that happening, what do you think the chances are of us having healthy, secure relationships? Zero. I'm actually shocked when I learned this stuff. I actually was shocked as to why our, uh, why our divorce rates are so freaking low. So anyway, so there's five reasons and you can start and you might want to write them down. Let me see if I can uh, write with my little pen here. I have a pen. I do my Facebook lives and I have a little uh, a pen here. Let's see if it, it works. This I'm going to just move it over right there. And let me write down a few reasons and I'll do little notes over the five reasons why we suck at feeling and why emotional flashbacks, we have no idea what to do about them. The first one is feelings weren't validated. Validated. Growing up. Growing up, if your feelings weren't validated, you learned that they aren't valid. If you were parented by being told, ah, that didn't happen, just move on, ah, don't get angry, or 
you were told, uh, you know, that that didn't happen. Ah, you shouldn't feel that way. What happens is we then learn to invalidate our own feelings. And we see this constantly in our cycle breakers portal. It's like, you know, this one woman um, who uh, is now leaving her partner of 17, of, of like 17 years, she's got a little daughter, uh, or I think 15 years, she's been with him since she was like young, super young. And now finally, after being abused emotionally, there's physical, there was, it was just a bad shit show. Finally, she jumps in to the Cycle Breakers portal and is working with us. And over the last few weeks, finally had the courage to leave with a daughter. That takes huge um, courage to do this type of work. It takes massive courage. And most people just don't have the stomach for it. That's why we have an application process. I want to make sure people are actually resilient enough to do shadow work. Most, I'd say 9 out of 10, aren't a fit. And so what she was saying was, I'm so mad that I feel hurt. Well, he's now seeing somebody else. I'm so mad that I feel hurt by this. Guess what she's doing? She's invalidating her feelings. Probably just like when she was a little girl and her feelings were invalidated. So as these emotional flashbacks are coming up, she doesn't know what to do with them. And if you don't have the proper guidance and support, she's likely going to go and return back to something really unhealthy for her and her daughter. Does that resonate with you? When feelings weren't validated, let me know if you had that experience growing up where you didn't have your feelings validated. If that was true, well, then it makes sense that you're probably invalidating your own emotions and you don't know what to do when your emotions come up. Number two. Let's see, number two, does it work? Okay, you weren't allowed to show all your emotions. Number two, I'm writing this down. You weren't allowed to show your emotions or all your emotions. Like, let me give you an example of what I mean by that. You might have been brought up in an environment where good girls don't get angry. So anger isn't allowed, but it's okay for you to be hurt, right? So what'll happen is if that, or vice versa, you weren't allowed to show hurt, you were punished, or you had the experience that love was pulled away from you, but you're allowed to express anger. Regardless, pick your Pick your variety of emotional flavor depending on the trauma that your parents experienced. You get downloaded it. It gets downloaded onto you. So if you weren't allowed to show anger, when you, and we see this constantly with people in codependency, they just don't have access to anger because they were beaten when they got angry. They were, they just, I, I just, I can't get angry. I just don't have ang anger. So what happens is they get hurt, that they, Instead of anger, they express hurt. So when you get an emotional flashback, you don't know what to do with what's happening inside your body because it hasn't been processed. There's a wiring conditioning that's been faulty all because of the conditioning from your parents or the trauma that you experience, which comes from the trauma that they experienced. It's cyclical. It gets downloaded onto you. And if you don't get this right and you don't correct that, guess what happens to your kids? they get to experience the same thing. It just gets passed down from one generation to one generation. That's why I call it breaking cycles because it didn't start with you. It didn't even start with your parents. But if we don't correct it, it then passes on to our kids. This is why it's so important to really commit to the path of being a cycle breaker. And it's a path. You think that this little kind of wiring, faulty wiring is gonna go away overnight? It's gonna take time. It's gonna take a willingness to look at oneself. You know, it, it takes courage, right? So number three, reason why we suck at handling emotional flashbacks, we don't know what to do with our feelings. Number three is you were mocked. You were mocked for showing your feelings, you know? 
it, it really sucks to have emotions and then have people around you make fun of them, right? Then you end up feeling misunderstood and this sense of misunderstanding follows you. And then what happens, unfortunately, we get into intimate partnerships and then we feel misunderstood. Again, we're compulsively finding ourselves in the same situation. Here we go. Guaranteed, I feel misunderstood in my marriage. Guaranteed, you felt it in your childhood too. It's a called, Freud calls it the repetition compulsion. We have this compulsion to repeat what was familiar in an opportunity to heal it. If we find the right guidance, the right tools, the right strategy, beyond just talking about it and watching a bunch of videos, actually showing up and doing the work, you can actually break, break that down. When you get this right, you then turn, instead of looking to be understood, you become understanding. If we don't solve this riddle, we're constantly going place to place, feeling misunderstood and going, why doesn't the world understand me? Is this landing? Let me know if any of the top three here that I talked about are landing for anybody. I'm curious. I got some peeps on um, Clubhouse too. It's good to have you guys. So that's number three. So number four, I'm going to erase what I have here. Number four is you had to manage your parents' emotions. The reason number four why we suck at emotional flashbacks and being able to feel our own emotions is because we'll call it parentification. There's a word for that. Parentification means you had to manage shit show of a life that was going on because they were at the effect of their own traumas. They had addictions, they had mental health issues, and it just felt safer to look after them than to manage your own. So what did you learn as a child if that was the case? You learned that my internal state can only be governed by looking after other people. Hello, codependency. And also narcissism too. Because I, in, in my state, I've also, I've been codependent in certain relationships, but when I was deep into kind of my narcissistic role, I wasn't using a person to manage my emotions. Actually, I was, but I was using the outside world. I was using clients. I was using uh, social media followers and validation. Essentially, at the end of the day, it's a childhood trauma to be parentified, even though there isn't a physical bruise or a cut that you can see in a scar, there's an emotional wound that, that basically causes us to feel that we, in our own right, aren't worthy of feeling seen and heard because we weren't important enough. So we then become hyper-focused and hyper-vigilant in looking after others. And this is what we see in our discovery calls, people who apply to work with us. Uh, we'll go, tell me what that was like for you. And they're like, well, he does so-and-so. And, -so. and on, on my last Should I Stay or Go uh, webinar, I was like, does anyone have any questions? And this one woman was like, this is what it sounds like. This is what she said. She goes, okay, so... Uh, I'm dating this guy and he's cheated on me four times and he keeps dating this other woman. And I, of course, he keeps coming back to me afterwards. And I just don't know what to do because he says so-and-so and then he does this. And then I try to tell him, you know, make up your mind, but then he keeps coming back and then he keeps. And so I don't know what to do with him. Do you get what I'm saying? It's kind of like, there's a word for it. It's called external locus of control. This person who was asking this question she didn't really know what she was asking. She was basically exposing the fact that as a child, her own emotions weren't important. And it was all about obsessing hypervigilantly over what the other person was thinking and feeling. And I kept bringing it back to her. Yeah, but how old do you feel? And she just starts bawling. She goes, I feel six years old. I'm like, bingo. Unless she addresses that wound and heals with the six-year-old, she's forever going to be looking outside of her, going, why is he not giving me the love that I want? And every time that we look on the outside, kind of like a parentified child, we are abandoning the child inside of us. 
Is this landing or resonating? Let me know if number four is a big one for you. But that's one of the reasons why you might not have an ability to handle your emotional flashbacks, to, to, to be able to withstand and understand what to do when you get triggered. It makes perfect sense if that's how you were raised and if, if you haven't even addressed that. And by the way, you can't address that by just talking endlessly about it. It's not going to work. You can say, this is what's going on and help me. What should I do? People say, oh, he keeps cheating on me and keeps coming back to me five times. Or she, she's le she le keeps leaving me and dumping me for this other person and then keeps coming back to me. And like, okay, yeah, of course I take them back, but they keep coming back. When will, how will they, how can I get them to finally choose me? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, where do I even begin? You're asking the fucking wrong question. The question that you'd be wise to ask is, how do I learn how to emotionally regulate so I'm not constantly outsourcing and looking outside of myself as a plug for validation? That's, that's a wiser question. Nobody asks. I love, love, I would love it if someone were to DM me and actually, actually, instead of a long backstory and say, what should I do? Can you give me advice with a long backstory like I just shared? And they go, you know what? I'm in a trauma bond. It seems like I'm using the other person for validation. How do I get to a place where I'm no longer needing it on the outside and I can find it within and I can regulate myself and I can connect to my purpose and I can trust myself again? <gasps> I would basically, <coughs> I would start fucking crying. I'd be like, finally, somebody who gets it instead of somebody who just wants to just tell their story, 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 because that's kind of been their pattern with their therapist for 17 years. Some people, you know, they come to our, our uh, events and they're like, I've been going to this therapist for 17 years. And I'm just like <sighs> telling the same story each week without any tools, without any neurosensory exercises, without any learning how to handle these emotional flashbacks that are going to come up when they keep coming and going and how to resource yourself and how to find boundaries and all of those necessary life skills that are critical for a healthy relationship. Nah, I don't really want to change anything. I just want to, what should I do to get them to finally commit to me? Like, have you committed to you? No, I haven't. Okay. That's where we begin. Number four is parentification. Does that land for anybody? So, and number five Okay, because, you know, number four, parentification. If it was safer to focus on other people's emotions, then, of course, you're not going to focus on yours. Number five is a feeling like you don't belong. I don't belong. This is kind of like a, like a scapegoat, like a black sheep type of situation where... You know, our students who are born in like religious, heavy duty religious upbringings are like, ah, just not jiving with this kind of hardcore stuff here. And I might have a different view, but fuck, I really want to belong. Or some of, some of our students actually are like healing from kind of leaving cults, right? Where it's like, if you don't, you know, like Jehovah's Witnesses and Irish, uh, what are they called? The Irish settlers or Irish travelers. Never even heard of these people. Mennonites, people who are like really close-knit communities and they're like, I don't know if I belong here. And they don't feel like they belong. Uh, or just kind of like you're a black sheep. You know, everybody's an engineer in the family. Everybody's super duper, you know, engineer scientific. And you're just kind of like an artsy fartsy woo type of person. You know, whatever your somatic experience of I don't belong, that's really... You know, it causes us to live in such a way where we feel like we have to hide these undesirable parts of ourselves, right? We have to hide these undesired, these parts of me that are, they don't belong. So I got to hide and I got to put on a mask and these emotions. And so these emotions, I got to kind of stuff away, right? So all of this creates a dysfunctional relationship within ourselves, and these emotional flashbacks that come on, that come up, we don't know what to do with because already our relationship with ourself is self-abandoning, self-invalidating because we're invalidating ourselves the way we were invalidated. And 
this makes trauma bonds literally like a guarantee every relationship that you're in is a trauma bond. It's an unconscious attempt to complete what was incomplete. And you could leave that person, it's fine. Then if you haven't resolved the underlying root cause, here you are again having the same partner, different haircut. And so that's why it's so um, fulfilling for me to help people break that cycle. We call our, our students cycle breakers because it first starts with the acknowledgement that it didn't start with you, but it can end with you. And if you're a sincere, if you're committed, if you're coachable, if you're willing to make yourself a priority, which is, you know, one massive, some, some people need some deep recovery just to make themselves a priority because deep down, you don't feel worthy of receiving because of these, you know, uh, these entanglements and these enmeshments with our uh, childhood dynamics. You didn't receive emotional attunement. You didn't receive uh, validation. So to give it to ourselves, to, to elevate ourselves is terrifying because it means not belonging. And so many people, especially who identify as codependents, they know they, they have healing work to do. They just are too scared to do it because they know they feel like it's going to cause them to break free from their tribe. So this is why I call it the hero's journey. This is why, you know, Dorothy going and following the yellow brick road or Neo taking the red pill and going in and, and, and uncovering the matrix and realizing and finding who he really is, that he is the one. This is a spiritual journey that we all must face. And that's why I love guiding people uh, willing to break the cycle. And so to break that cycle with us, with, with me and my team, it takes three yeses from me. So before we used to just take anybody. And now as I'm, I'm he doing my own healing work, uh, my work with healing others, with helping others heal is, is, a, is part of, it's healing for both of us. So I want to make sure that the person is willing and ready to break the cycle that really wants to be guided by myself. Some, you know, I could be, you know, I, I'm magnetic to some, repulsive to others. That's fine. I'm okay with myself about that. I'm willing to share whatever I feel is truthful. I, I share transparently being in a trauma bond, being part of an abusive dynamic, being abusive, being abused, consistently like you know like uh, it's kind of like um, I don't put myself on this pedestal I, I really really want to make sure you get that the person that guides you doesn't deserve to be put on a pedestal because it's you that's doing the work stop putting therapists and coaches and people on on on, on these pedestals I believe me, my ego used to love that. And now I take on the role of, look, I'm just a guide on the side. You're the hero. And as I've healed more, uh, I become more choosy in who I choose to guide. I want to make sure that the person isn't just transferring their codependency from their partner onto me because, and they want to lean on me too much. I'm really quick to say, hey, the work is on you, right? And so, because I know that codependency can also happen with a therapist and they, it's called a um, counter-transference merger, merging when the merging happens and, the, you know, the, the, the therapist takes on the role like a, like a parent, you know? And so I, I see that there is some of that. I, I, do, I do intentionally bring in my divine masculine, divine feminine kind of polarity into the container but it's so that I can help you experience what it's like to be contained by a healthy masculine presence because I'm consistently doing my own work. And um, I love working with people who are ripe and ready to break that cycle. So let me know what landed or resonated. Please feel free to comment below. I, I, I read all the comments if you have any questions please let me know. I'm also going to open the floor. I do have a couple moments for um, anyone who has a question to jump on. Um, uh, jump on and have a question. I'd love to ask. Uh, I use comedy class clown behavior as my mask for not feeling like I belong. SK, yep, totally, 100%. Does anyone have any questions or they would like to hop on stage and ask a question. I'd love to just go ahead and raise your hand 
and jump on. I give a chance for anybody who would like to have some laser coaching. This would be an awesome time. If not, you're shy. That's totally cool. But I do give an opportunity for anybody who would like to share their journey. Teresa, I see you as well. You're always on my calls. I'd love to have anybody who has that as an opportunity. Just go ahead and raise your hand. I'll give you another moment. Um, and uh, yeah, I just want to share the, the best place to begin, actually. Uh, we have our upcoming overview experience. It's coming up on the 24th of October. But if you're watching the replay, just follow the link uh, underneath. And the next one is just around the corner. Uh, and here's what I do. It's a six-hour event where I take your most recent trigger. It's not breath work. It's, uh, that's, an, uh, that's a different event. Uh, breath work is a very powerful tool for dropping in and really learning how to regulate your system and um, you know, exposing and expanding on what's been hiding in the surface. Some people say, I don't know what my problem is. Well, in breath work, you get to experience it coming up and it, it's best followed up with some deep work to help integrate your, your experience. But the overview experience was a three-day event that I've now created in six hours. And what I do is I take your biggest trigger in a conflict and we stretch it out over six hours. And I show you the neuroscience of how to get to the root of the trigger and how to unpack it. And it's very surprising. There's a very surprising twist at the end. Uh, that help that people get to see uh, how pretty much everything is a reflection. It's deep shadow work. Uh, it's for people who are ripe and ready, who've done the talk therapy, who've done the landmark courses, who've done all of the spiritual stuff and are ready to get into the neuroscience of it. And um, yeah, I'd love to hear anybody who has a question. Um, how do I know? Good. Okay, so here's one. Uh, how do I know that I'm not the narcissist? <laughs> because when continuously triggered, I can become very emotional. Also, also, Darvo is common in abuse cycles, so I don't know whether the abuser by pretending to be the victim or the victim or I've been abused. Great question. Um, I don't know your specific situation. However, I do know that in order for us to heal, we must be able to look at, by the way, we cover that at the overview experience. In every dynamic, there is a triangle. It's called the drama triangle. There's a victim, a perpetrator, and a rescuer. So a hero, a victim, and a villain. Unless we learn how to master this drama triangle and be able to identify where we're the victim, where we're the rescuer and where we have been the villain, we are forever stuck in this cycle. And the truth of the matter is, we all are fragments of all of them. And how do you know somebody's a narcissist? When they say, there's no way that I'm a narcissist, I'm the victim here. <laughs> That's how I'm like, uh, okay. The fact that you're asking is a good sign. I got to say, the fact that you're asking this question, D, is a very good sign. It's like, okay, it means that I'm willing to look at myself. If you're saying there's no way it's me, that's a red flag for me. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And the people who do our programs are all say the same thing. They're like, wow, I totally see where I was the codependent there. I totally see how I was the narcissist there. And I'm narcissist here and here and here. And the truth of the matter is these are all parts of our shadow. And it's important to learn how to integrate those parts. So I don't believe that we are all one kind of like, kind of like a uh, one-dimensional individual. We are multi-dimensional and we have many facets to us, multifaceted. And we have very various degrees of self-states. So sometimes I guarantee you, D, if I was to walk in on you and your partner, I'd be like, yep, D's the narcissist there. And then other times, depending on where you are in that abuse cycle, uh, you're the codependent, right? And so I, when I help people unpack this, their trauma bonds, what I do is I get them to see that they're all three. They're the rescuer, they're the victim, and the villain. And that's the healthiest way to go. And that's the only way to break the cycle is by 
uh, understanding and empathy, which if you can't do that for the other person, good chance that you are the narcissist. <laughs> so hopefully that was helpful. Uh, if you're willing to change, then you should be good. Right, exactly. Does anyone else have any shares or questions? Thank you, thank you. If you are just hopping on, my invitation is to watch the replay uh, and send me a DM. Let me know uh, where you're at if you want some support and guidance and are willing to uh, work on fair exchange as well. This is one of the things that uh, in all relationships, um, if you wanna have secure relationships, really, uh, is dependent on fair exchange. In trauma, we have this fantasy that someone's going to come and rescue us. The rescuer, if somebody's rescuing you and there isn't an exchange, a conscious transactional exchange, whether it's a financial exchange, and you expect them to rescue you without some sort of a exchange that's uh, that's not covert, by the way, because <laughs> we all are doing covert transactions. My invitation is for you to make those covert transactions uh, overt. I know that sounds, yeah, but they sh people should just want to help and rescue. Yeah, says every um, rescuer who ends up becoming a perpetrator. If you ever try to rescue somebody without a fair exchange that's overtly acknowledged, the rescuer ends up becoming the perpetrator and it never works out <laughs> because truthfully you can't rescue somebody, only they can rescue themselves. And so for people who are really keen on learning how to heal and to learn how to rescue themselves, not have uh, myself rescue you, I'm, I'm curious to hear your backstory and the invitation is to let me know what you'd love to create over the next few months and um, Perhaps it would be a good fit and to maybe do an application to see if A, yes, you're a yes to being a cycle breaker, even if it's not with me. That's the first criteria I look for. Are you a yes to being a cycle breaker, even if it's not with me as your guide? Because if you're only doing it with me as your guide, that's a red flag. It's like, oh, this person is going to codepend on me. So if you're yes to that, that's, a, that's my first yes. Number two. We need guides that know what the fuck they're talking about and who've been there, done that, done the, cried the tears, done the work, not just have like a psychologist plaque on the wall. That doesn't really mean you've integrated your shadows. If you, if you don't find me so utterly repulsive that you'd like to actually receive guidance from me, that's my criteria number two. And criteria number three is you're willing to invest in yourself like you are your own child like you would in your own child. And those are the three criterias that make it a yes for me. And just based on the people that have applied and the people who've come through our containers and are really willing to take responsibility, not blame for their own healing. I'd love to hear from you. Hopefully that was useful. Go ahead and write in the comments what your biggest takeaways were, any questions you have, and send me a DM if you have any uh, specific uh questions that you have or you're interested in exploring the possibility of becoming a cycle breaker. See you at the next perfect time.